Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I am your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand, and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week, we have thought leaders, change instigators, and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive, and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning connection and resilience into your life and your business. As a way to thank our guests for their time, energy and wisdom, we would love to demonstrate our appreciation, gratitude and admiration. We would love to hear from you as to what was your key takeout from today's session by writing a review in Apple Podcast with our guest's name and insight. And when you do, Please make sure to take a photo and send your photo to support at katherineplano.com.au and you will receive a one-hour life coaching session for free, valued $500, to help you change your life for the better or to help you get unstuck if you are currently going through a transition or if you need a little motivation. Thank you. This week, as always, we have a super, super, super amazing guest for you. We have the beautiful Andrea Owen. Andrea is an author, global speaker, and professional certified life coach who helps higher achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. She has taught hundreds of thousands of women tools and strategies to be able to empower themselves to live their most kick-ass life through speaking, her books, coaching, and her wildly popular podcast with close to 3 million downloads. She is the proud author of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, which has been translated into 18 languages and is now available in 22 countries, as well as her inaugural book, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, BS Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass and Live the Life You Deserve. And now her latest book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength. When she's not juggling her full coaching practice or writing books, Andrea is busy riding her Peloton bike, chasing her two school-aged children or making out with husband Jason. She's also a retired roller derby player having skated under the name Veronica Vane. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, today I am excited about our guest. We have the beautiful Andrea Owen. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Oh, Catherine, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. I'm excited to have you on the show and I really can't wait to get into it. So the way that we start the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So Andrea, tell us what inspired you to do what you do today? 
Well, it's sort of a funny, not funny story. Uh, back way back, it seems like it's so long ago, a couple decades ago, in around 2002, I found out what life coaching was and I had never heard of it. And this was back when really not a whole lot of people knew what it was. And I was sitting in front of the computer talking to my, now my ex-husband and I'm, I'm remarried now to someone else. And, um, and I told him this life coaching thing looks so interesting and I think I would love it, but I think you would need some life, ex more life experience than I have right now to be a great coach. And I was in my late twenties at the time. So lo and behold, a couple years later, as me and that husband were talking about conceiving our first child, he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant and left me and started a new life with her. And so, and it got worse. I got into another really terrible relationship right after that and just hit my total and utter rock bottom. Uh, at that point I was, um, you know, I was 30. I wanted nothing more than to settle down and start a family and had to really come to terms with my life being completely upside down and dove headfirst into therapy, into looking at my own stuff because for so long I had blamed, you know, my relationship, which, which, which wasn't a great one in the first place. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't great. And my intuition had been telling me to leave him many times, which I did not. And so we were, you know, I, I found myself single and I was also pregnant with a you know, different, different man's child at this point and just knew I needed to, you know, for lack of a better term, just like get my life together and threw myself into therapy and signed up for life coach training not realizing how much that was going to put a mirror in front of me and have me face even more of my own stuff. And yeah, the rest is, the rest is pretty much history. And I, you know, got, got married again and, and we have a child together and now I am the sole breadwinner and have, you know, written three books, speak on stages and life is by no means perfect, but I am worlds away from that woman who was laying on the ground, crying on the phone to my sister saying, how did I get here? Thinking that my life was completely over. Wow. And I think that doesn't, mm -hmm. it, it's almost like, um, and some people call it the dark night of the soul, or as you say, mm -hmm. like life upside down for us to start uh, looking within. What was that turning point for you? Because you talked about, you know, starting to look at your, your own stuff. Mm-hmm. I found myself at the tail end of two back-to-back -back terrible, dysfunctional, toxic relationships. And the common denominator was me. And, and this is not to put all the blame on myself. And, you know, the men I had been with had done some pretty terrible things and needed to do their own work as well. But I had ignored my intuition in both of those relationships. I had stayed when I knew that I was tolerating abuse at times. I was tolerating crumbs. I was settling all because I was afraid to be by myself, all, all because I was afraid to walk away from a relationship where I had a lot of history with this person. I was afraid of what my, my friends and family would think, you know, like in your early thirties, that's a lot of times when everybody's having babies and getting married and settling down. And I, I, I was ashamed of where I had ended up, felt like a failure. And I had to take radical responsibility for my life. I had spent, as I mentioned, I had spent so long putting all of my happiness in someone else's hands and looked to other people, especially to men, to validate me, to make me feel worthy 
to make me feel loved and never had ever tried to do any of those things for myself, thinking that it was completely out of my control. And so when I started to dive into personal development, realizing how much control over it I actually had, that's when, that was sort of my first step. And it was both terrifying and also liberating and empowering at the same time. Mm, you know, I can relate the same thing. I had the same thing happen with me where I had these relationships um, throughout my whole life, actually, um, uh, uh, just uh, um, not work out. And as you were yeah. saying, the common denominator was me. And I think for me, it was really about um, not really loving myself. So therefore, how can someone truly love me? And I think that that was, you know, people always say, oh, you know, you've got to love yourself, open yourself up and, you know, uh, the self-worth stuff. And it was completely opposite for me. The turning point for me was all of that stuff the you know that sat in that shadow aspect of myself that made me, that was the pivot point for me. That was uh, when I decided that wow, I really do need to do the deep work because the only person that's um, uh, the common denominator, as you said, is me. And uh-huh. that's hard. That's hard because, you know, it's so much easier to blame, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so much easier. It's the easy way out. And, you know, there's a saying in the rooms of 12-step programs and they say it works until it doesn't. And there's many coping mechanisms and, and way we, ways we get through life that work until they don't. And for me, that was one of them was, was blaming. And, it, it, you know, when you mentioned the concept of self-love, I remember sitting in a counselor's office and she was talking to me about self-love. And I, I was, I was taking notes cause she was saying so many wise and wonderful things. And I, I remember looking at my notes later and thinking to myself, I don't know what that means. Like, I have no idea what that even looks like. Like, how does one even start to love themselves? Like, I guess I love myself. I knew my parents loved me, but like, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. And it seemed like it was rich and full of, and I don't mean rich in a, in a financial sense, but just like, so so just like, um, nurturing. And I was very curious about it. And that's all I needed at that time was just to get curious and, um, and start to sort of make my way in. And it by no means was a quick process. And I think self-love is one of those things that sort of ebbs and flows in our life, depending on the season, depending on what we're working on, et cetera, et cetera. But also Catherine, this was about me going into my family of origin, you know, trauma and things that hurt me and the patterns that I had created because of my mother wound, because of my father wounds and all of these things that, that still come up all these years later. I mean, my rock bottom moment was 15, 16 years ago and, and still I'm uncovering things and and having to do the work. You know, I know it's a stuff always comes up, and I um I just had somebody um say to me the other day, we've been working on this stuff for so long, how is it that my shit can still come up? And I'm I said to mm-hmm. her, you know what, there it works in layers. As we start peeling back the layers, um other stuff keeps bubbling up, and um you know you've just got to keep working through it. It's never done. You're never cooked. No. You're never done. No, you're not. And I don't know if this is your experience, but for anyone out there who's listening and feeling discouraged, (laughs) I have found that in my experience, like, yes, you're right. Things do come up in the layer, you know, the onion layers still get peeled back, but in many cases, not all of them, but in many cases, 
I seem to walk through things faster. And I believe that we build up a resilience and sort of, you know, just strengthen the muscle, our, our personal development and our tolerance for talking about and working through hard things. We just get better at it. I don't think that it gets easier in terms of, of how painful and uncomfortable it is. I think we just get better at managing all the feelings. That's how I describe it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It, it is because I think there's at the start. So when you were talking about love, I'm thinking, what is love? I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing too. Like, how do I love myself? Um, you know, mm -hmm. do I give myself compliments? Do I take myself out? Do I do the things that I love? Um, and the thing for me was at the time was too much for me um, to take on another thing. So I did the opposite. I was looking at what is it that I need to let go of? And that was me. Mm -hmm. like, so for me, peeling off the layers was letting go of certain beliefs, letting go of certain narratives, letting go yes. of whatever was going on in my little mind at the time and uh, and then be accountable. And that's what was really hard for me is to actually be accountable and own what was going on, not blame, but actually own it. Mm -hmm. And I do believe yep. that as – as difficult as that may have been at the time, and we're going back, you know, what, 28 years ago, uh, as difficult as it was, I think over time when you're talking about building that resilient muscle, it's it does become a lot easier to do. Mm -hmm. mm. It does. And, and I love your, your description and, you know, you thinking about what self-love is. And I think if you ask you know, 10 different people who do this work, you would probably get 10 different answers. And I love hearing all of them because I, I think self-love is sort of this giant umbrella and there's so many things that fall into it. And, and again, I have found that it depends on the season. So, so right now, the last handful of years, I've been really focusing on self-trust. Do I trust myself? Do I trust myself enough to make, make mistakes and be able to bounce back? Do I trust myself enough to totally listen to my intuition? Do I trust myself enough that I can, I can know when it's time to set a boundary and stick to it? So this, that, that again, just like an example of, of an aspect of self-love for people to think about. I love it. And I think also the, when you were saying trust and intuition, uh, to me, they're very much going ha go hand in hand because for me, mm -hmm. I find that intuition is absolutely listening to that when you get that uh, gut feeling or when you get that inner knowing um, of, you know, don't go there, Catherine, because of whatever the story is, you know. And I think that the more that we do that, that whole intuition piece, that to me has been um, a game changer because I cannot tell you now, I listen to my intuition like – uh, no other voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same. You talk about boundaries and I think that's a really, um, it's one of those things that we do bring up. And like you said, everyone's got their own ways of building their own boundaries. How do you go about it, Andrea? What do you do? What's your trick to you have with, with other people? Oh, well, yeah, to have strong boundaries. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh. Boundaries are, I think, just the thorn in my side as they are, I think with a lot of people. And I, I was just making a video for social media the other day about people who use the excuse of, but I don't like confrontation. And I said in the video, no one, no one likes confrontation. That's not what boundaries are. 
if you like confrontation, I kind of think you're an asshole. Like, I don't want to hang out with you, (laughs) but, but boundaries are not confrontation. They are an uncomfortable conversation is what they are. So I want to just kind of get that out of the way. And I always like to give credit to my very best friend in the world. Who's also a life coach. Her name's Amy Smith and she is a communication expert and she's a, she's a genius at boundaries and, and she's taught me everything I know. And, and one of the things that, that she says is that I've, I've learned and taken to heart and I use is that you can't be attached to the outcome because when you're attached to the outcome, you're sort of defeating the purpose and it can affect how you show up. And it's really not fair to yourself and to the other person. So unfortunately you have to be unattached to the outcome because you can't control it. And you can only control how you show up in the conversation. And I always like to start with gratitude. Um, you know, tell the person how much you care about them. You know, the reason that you're having this conversation is that you care about the relationship and, you know, you didn't want to continue to be passive aggressive if, if you have been in the past or something like that, because hard conversations, you know, John Gottman's work, he talks about how when we're having difficult conversations or arguing that once your heart rate reaches a certain level, you stop listening. It's just the physiology of the way our bodies and brains work. I find that so fascinating because I've certainly been there. And so it's a good idea to keep things as calm as possible and, and just be very clear and kind and just come from the most loving place that you possibly can. So I know I said a lot. Um, I can keep talking, <laughs> but I, I wanted to, to pause and, and let you jump in if you if you want to add something. No, I, I think the one thing that really stood out for me, boundaries, and we've had Amy uh, Smith on the show as well. She's oh, you amazing. have? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. She is so fantastic. I'm so lucky to have her as my best friend. <laughs> no, she's amazing. Um, but one thing that really stood out for me is um, having the difficult conversations and I know that that's, that's a great way of uh, having those boundaries. Um, and they're not always easy. But what I find is what I do, and this is, this is my trick, and I, I don't know how you, how you go about having your conversations, which I'd love to find out. I have to plan it out. So I've just got to write down oh, what no. is it that I want to say. Mm-hmm. And then I go into the conversation asking questions. So I'm not telling because I have found in the past that I can be so straightforward, like my husband says to me, Catherine, you never leave me guessing or wondering uh, what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. And so, in other words, I can I can be very straightforward. Um, and so I've really had to train myself to do the opposite. So I, I come across in a loving, caring way. So the way I do it is I go in with questions to get the answers, to have the difficult conversation. How do you go about it? So you get curious. Um, Sometimes I do that, but not always. So sometimes I like to say whatever it is that I need to say. And then in, in coaching school, they call that letting it land when you ask a question or you say a statement, whatever you need to say, and then be quiet. Because many times when we're uncomfortable, we want to fill the silence. And so as I'm letting it be right before I'm letting it land, I say, what do you think? Or what's your take on it? Giving the person, it's an open question, giving that person an opportunity to tell me what they think of what I just said. And that opens up the dialogue. That's, that's how I like to do it. 
Mm, I like Instead that. of just saying like, it's my way or the highway, which sometimes it gets to that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Sometimes, especially if you have, if you have made the request previously or talked to, you know, if someone keeps teasing you about the same thing and it's hurting your feelings and they just won't stop and you have told them time and time again, sometimes you get to a point where you are that where the boundary is do this again. And I will not come over for dinner with my family anymore with you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Then sometimes it is, you know, my way, which is completely acceptable, I think. But, um, but yeah, most of the time it's, it's, it's an open conversation. Mm. And I think too, the, the other thing that I've learned, um, from having these, uh, courageous conversations is, um, to take ownership once again it's the accountability so not saying Mm -hmm. you make me feel this way because I always say when I facilitate I say no one can make you feel anything unless you allow them to yeah and so it's this is how I feel okay so you so say that quote again is that the, the Eleanor Roosevelt quote of like um what did she say no one no, no so I always feel... say no one can make you feel anything unless you allow them to. So you know how people will say to me or, or, or you know sometimes I'll have conversation and somebody will say to me, "Oh my god, she makes me so angry." And I'll go, "Really?" Mm-hmm. And and then we'll have the conversation. Really nobody allow nobody can make you feel anything unless you allow them to. Okay. So you're allowing See, I, totally, I totally disagree with that, oh, actually. Okay. No, let's do this. It's, well, I love it. Because, and I, I used to, I, and it is, I think Eleanor Roosevelt said something of that. And it's a very popular personal development piece of advice. And on the surface, I absolutely love it because you can, you can take your power back. Like you have all the power as the person who's having the feeling. However, um, I like, like anything there's nuance. And so I have complex PTSD and complex trauma. And so what that means is something will happen and I get triggered because the, the trauma is embedded in my subconscious. And I've gone through years and years of therapy to try to work it out. You know, somatic things like spent so much money on therapy. <laughs> And it still lives in my body. I mean, we're talking EMDR, acupuncture, all these things. So I've, I've come to a place where I'm at peace with it. And I know absolutely when I'm triggered, I know what sets me off. I know what to do and what to say. And so some things happen and I immediately have a feeling. And I am sure that I cannot control that. It is something that happens physiologically that like digestion like I have no control over my digestion. <laughs> sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. So that's why I, I think that, um, I think sometimes is that's, that's a yes. And sometimes it's not. Mm. So it's just, it's not black or white, I think is my short answer. Yeah, I totally, I get you. So you're, you're saying mm-hmm. that basically the stimulus or whatever the event is, then you have a response or you react to the stimulus. I totally agree with, with what you're saying. It, it, it's, it happens instant. And exactly. I, th- I think, and that- I wish it didn't. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. But the thing that I I see that I guess that, and it's it's easier said than done, by the way. So I don't I don't um uh want anyone to think that it's it's oh god it's that easy. It's not always easy. Um, mm-hmm. and so I agree. It's not it's not there's gray areas in what I say. Um, but with the stimulus or the event, whatever the trigger is, there is a response. But 
in when we slow down enough, and this is just my experience, so I'm only sharing my experience yeah. um, because I too have passed trauma and so certain triggers will come you know bring up Mm -hmm. certain emotions absolutely and I feel then a certain way to the point where I'm shaking so I know that for me when there's a stimulus I get curious about when I feel a certain way and when emotion comes up and rather than and this doesn't always happen by the way but when I am conscious and I acknowledge it and that's where the beautiful piece where mm-hmm. the, the the stuff from the uh, the subconscious comes forward then I have this I have an opportunity I have a, I guess a um, an opportunity to do something with it now I can choose to respond to it or there is space between the trigger and the response and then I th- mm-hmm. I feel that there's times when I can actually be conscious in that very moment I can shift the response by shifting the way that I think and thus shifting the way that I feel. Does that make yeah. sense? So that's totally. I, and yeah. I, I think, yeah, and I, I love that. And I, I'm all for, and I don't want people to use that as an excuse of like, oh, well, I, you know, people just make me feel terrible all the time. Like, I, again, like, I love that you also mentioned that you're conscious about it and I can do it too. If I'm, you know, if I'm fully conscious, if, if it has nothing to do with my trauma, then I can kind of coach myself and not take things personally and, and things like that. But yeah, I think we're totally on the same page. Like it's, it's one of those, like, it depends. <laughs> mm. I absolutely uh, agree with you. And I love the fact that you were saying coaching. I mean, you know, I always say I've got this inner coach and that's the inner coach that steps in. Um, mm-hmm. And I know for me as well, and I know for our listeners, they've heard this, I talk about this a lot on the show. In the last, let's say, 18 months with this whole um, uh, mm. you know, event that's taken place externally. Now, we mm. can't control what's happening externally, but we can control how we react and respond to it. And I feel that for me, because this, um, I used to do a lot of traveling, um, being, I guess, stuck at home has really yeah. helped me do the deep work. So the shadow work, a lot of that stuff. So even though like we were saying, you know, you, you think that you do all this work and I've been doing it for a very long time. And I've had profound moments of doing just that, spending that time with myself. Um, and so when we, we, it kind of leaks into how does, how does one love themselves? I feel mm-hmm. that now I have a better understanding of um, loving yourself is investing the time for yourself. Um, and actually, you know, like you were saying, having those strong boundaries, saying no when you yeah. want to say no. Because I still mm-hmm. struggle with that one. Um, I still say yes because I want to help the world. I want to help people. I want everyone mm-hmm. to be happy. But I just realized by saying yes to others, I was saying no to me. Um, so I, 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 I would love to, I guess, get a better understanding of what are some of your tips, Andrew? Because I, I, I might link into your book, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength. What would be some tricks or some tips for our listeners on how to make that radical shift, um, and we're not taking, we're not talking about instantly, but those mm-hmm. little steps. Well, I think you you made a great segue when you said that you you know learning to take the time to set boundaries and say no when you wanted to say no, even though you you know you want to help people and change the world, and that's that's largely what I write about in my book is that 
because I'm obsessed with getting to the root of the problem. I want to find the fastest way to peace and just be as efficient as I can. And over the last, oh, I don't know, maybe three or four years, I really started thinking about this and how many of the the struggles that women come to me for, you know, it's the people pleasing, it's the lack of boundaries, the perfectionism, the lack of self-confidence is rooted in how we were raised. And I know you and I are on opposite sides of the globe, but we have largely similar cultures that we were raised in. And that is as women, we are socialized and conditioned to take care of everyone around us before we take care of ourselves. And no one can argue that. We often say yes when we don't want to. And we are taught to be nurturing and caring. And this isn't to say those are bad attributes and virtues to have. You know, n naturally, most of us are that way. And, and it's incredibly important. However, at what cost, you know, what is it costing you to constantly put yourself last and to, in many cases for some women, be a doormat and, and settle and accept crumbs and just overwork yourself to the point where you're completely burned out, where the, the balance of help in your household is largely uneven with, you know, the woman doing the lion's share of the work, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, as I step off my soapbox, <laughs> what are some, some tips and tricks to making a radical shift to, it's finding out, you know, there's a common question in, in the coaching world is, is what do you want? You know, it, it seems like a simple question, but I can't tell you how many women have looked me straight in the face after I asked them that and said, I don't know. So I often, instead of asking them that, ask them what they don't want. You know, if you, if you can be raw and unfiltered tell me what you're sick and tired of. Like, what do you want less of? What do you like? Let your complaints rip. I want to hear it. What are you angry at? What pisses you off? What breaks your heart? Like, it's just lots of different ways of asking the question, but like, what do you, what do you want less of? What do you not want anymore? And, and feel free to list all of that, that out. And many times that will give you clues and point at what it is that you're actually wanting and needing. Because for many women, it's not just what we want. It's what we actually need. We need self-care. We need time to ourselves. We need to close the stress cycle loop that is often never closed. And, you know, we need therapy. We need our partners to go to therapy. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of things. And again, so the bottom line is is figure out what it is that you don't want if you're having trouble figuring out what it is that you do want. I love that. It's so true. People, especially mm -hmm. if you've always been um, a people pleaser, um, and that was me, and still am, by the way, um, but saying yes to everything else and everybody else. Um, and then absolutely I have experienced this when I speak to people and say, what is it that you want? I get that Scooby-Doo look. I have no idea. <laughs> Scooby-Doo look. <laughs> it's like, huh? <laughs> And, guys, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it's true. It's, it's like, they can't answer that, but absolutely they can tell you, they can give you a list of all the things they don't want. Mm -hmm. mm, mm -hmm. I love that. Love that. Yeah. Go ahead and steal it. Like it's, it, it's a huge eye opener. And, and sometimes women feel bad complaining because they have a good to great life, you know, like they either have a job that they like, or they make good money, or they're in a, a good marriage or relationship they've got healthy kids, you know, they kind of check off all the boxes and can't figure out why they're not happy and fulfilled. And they feel guilty and embarrassed for complaining about it. And, and, you know, that's sometimes the part that you need to, to get through. And I, that's why I, I love women's circles where women can come together and 
and have these conversations that they might not get to have anywhere else. And do you find that when you you um, ask them that question, okay, what is it that you don't want? And they list off a you know a whole um, raft of things. That how then do you turn them around into then focusing on what they want? Because I find Before- that as as you're saying that, I'm thinking like God, I could raft a whole lot of things myself. But then I always think that sometimes when we focus on the things that we don't want. We're absolutely moving ourselves further and further away from what it is that we want. Yeah. The reason I don't immediately jump into what they want before we talk about the things that they don't want is because I don't want to add more things onto their plate. Sometimes when women, you know, get gung ho about their personal development or their self care and they're adding on yoga classes and you know, therapy and like all these things that just make their calendar more full and stress them out even more, even though they're things that (laughs) matter to them and and that are for the greater good of their life. And so, you know, when we come, when they figure out what it is that they want less of or what they don't want anymore, this circles back to the conversation around boundaries. Nine Mm -hmm. times out of 10, they need to have a conversation with someone in their life that they have been avoiding having. And sometimes there's resistance because again, they, then they tell me they don't like confrontation and they have two choices. Either you cannot say anything and things will 99% of the time stay the same until you just can't take anymore and you, you know, have some kind of meltdown or it manifests as insomnia, anxiety, depression, passive aggression, et cetera. The second choice is that you have, you have a difficult conversation that will probably only last maybe 10 minutes what is your choice? And like, listen, I'm the first to say, I, I would rather have a hard conversation with, you know, my neighbor or my, my kid's teacher, people who I am connected to, but not emotionally. When we have these difficult conversations with our partners or our best friend or our parents, like that's the worst. (laughs) It's terrifying. There's a lot emotionally at stake. So I'm not here to tell you that it's the easiest thing to do. That is PhD level self-growth right there. And that is going to get you the most growth. Uh, it, it, It does. And, and it just, it takes a lot of courage and it is absolutely worth it. Mm. I, and, you know, it links into um, what is it they need to let go of because uh, exactly. I, I think I think you're right. You know, you don't want to add more to their plate. You actually want to empty right. the plate. You want to empty uh, and, and remove some of those layers. So by them mm-hmm. writing down a list of all the things they don't want, it gives them an indication what they need to let go of. Yeah, mm. exactly. And I, I, you know, I mentioned I, I coach people on on my podcast sometimes. And I had a woman. It's been a couple of years. I had her come on my show, and the the topic that she brought that she wanted coaching on was how to prioritize these things in her life that she wanted to do. She was she was very much into personal development, and so I thought, well, that's interesting. And a lot of times, you know, we we don't we don't know what's going on until we ask more questions and get curious. If that's what coaching is. So during the conversation, what we end up uncovering is that she and her husband both worked full time. They had two small children and they would both come home from work and he would sit on the couch and do nothing while she did absolutely everything. And she was feeling resentful and you know where this is going, right? And so the question was, are you going to have a conversation with him? And that that is part, that's a deal breaker in, in your marriage. So it wasn't about her 
prioritizing how she was going to do more things for herself. It was about how are you going to prioritize having a hard conversation with your partner who, who needs to, to treat you better and treat, treat your family better. Mm, that's yeah, that's amazing. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with, uh, when you have these people on the show, they obviously let you know in ahead of time, um, <clears throat> what they would like to be coached on, or they just, you don't really know until you actually have them on the show. No, I absolutely do because sometimes with coaching, if you're not clear on the topic ahead of time, it can be like herding cats for 15 yep. minutes and that's nobody wants to listen to that. I mean, I could I could edit that part out. <laughs> but I always I always like to even have a, a phone call with them ahead of time to solidify the topic just for rapport because people get nervous, you know, coming onto a podcast that they've been listening to for a long time and I want them to to, you know, chat with me first. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So during your most adventurous uh, journey through podcasting, writing, speaking, life as a whole, what's been your greatest lesson learned thus far? That pain is power. Um, that pain has the capacity to turn into power is what I should say. I got sober in 2011 and it was sort of my last hurrah. It's a whole nother conversation about, about my sobriety, but, um, I got sober from alcohol in, in 2011 and I had no idea I would be walking into all of my feelings, all of my feelings that I'd been stuffing for so very long. And it was terrifying at first, but once I realized the power in just digesting and processing feelings and emotions and experiences, they, they go away a lot faster when you just let them through instead of trying to like stack furniture up in front of the door to keep them out. Um, so that was probably my biggest lesson so far in life. Mm, love it. And it is, you know, I always say, what are your pain points? And I think that that's the best way to work through it. Pain is power. As in, mm -hmm. it's a great way to identify what it is that you need to lean into. Yeah, I 100% yeah. agree. Yeah, I love that. And Andrew, I would love to unpack your book a little bit. Uh, we did bring it up before, Make Some Noise, Speak Your Mind and Own Your Strength. What um, are some things that our listeners will uh, find in your book? Well, as, as I mentioned, it's, it, you know, it came from, a, to be honest with you, like a place of, of anger. You know, I got tired of, of yelling girl power and, and we can do anything we want without talking about the culture that raised us without talking about patriarchy. And, um, it is by no means a heavy handed book. It's not a feminist theory book. And, you know, please, if I need to mention it, I love men very, very much. I love them so much that I want to talk about this because patriarchy hurts everybody. And it really is about things like, um, you know, shining bright and, and our fear of visibility and shining or outshining others. It's about how to take up space. Like what does that even mean and, and how to do it? I talk about money in the book because I don't think you can, you can talk about, you know, making noise <laughs> without talking about money. And I also talk about power in the book because I think some of us have a dysfunctional relationship with power or we don't have a relationship at all with power. And I talk about self-confidence and mindset and intuition and a lot of different, it's a little bit of a buffet, if you will, of <laughs> all things sort of pointing to self-confidence really is, is the theme of the book. 
and um, I'm just really proud of it. I'm, I'm excited for this next iteration. And every time I've written a book, it's it's largely based on my own evolution, which I think happens to a lot of self-help authors. And um, yeah, I just I just want it's my opinion, honestly, Catherine, that women's empowerment is an act of rebellion and I want every woman to experience it. Mm, I love that. And I think that what you were describing is, is, is very similar to what I say. So I would say it's like standing in your light, meaning standing mm-hmm. in your truth and owning your power. And I know empowering, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, it was a buzzword a few years ago, like empowerment and empower and, and how do we empower others? Well, you give power away, but how do you actually give power to yourself? And what does that mean? And I think that links in with uh, what you were saying, like money and power. I think there's this um, thing, and I'm seeing this, so I'd love to hear your take on it. It's, uh, and I know for myself, I've experienced it, uh, with money, the I guess, you know, um, uh, we have a lot of women in business listening to this show. And mm-hmm. the one thing that we hear from them as well is um, how do I feel comfortable with money? Uh, because sometimes, and I'm, I've experienced myself, as soon as I get money, I give it away. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like um, I don't feel like I, and that go, go down the rabbit hole of self-worth, whatever that may be. Yeah. But what are some of the things that you speak about when it's, when it links into money and power? Well, throughout the book, I ask over 250 questions. And I honestly think that that, that chapter, I ask the most questions because I want people to unpack everything from, you know, when you pick up any money book around emotions and they're going to have you do your money story, you know, how did your parents talk about money? Did you have an allowance? Everything from, you know, how did you spend money as a child? If, if you did, did you have a job growing up? Um, all of those types of things. And then also wh- what did you think of women and money in the movies and TV shows that you saw? If anything, you know, I tell the story of, you know, Cruella DeVille of, you know, from 101 Dalmatians was the first wealthy woman who was self-made that I ever encountered, which is, which is so weird. And some people might think, oh, it's just a Disney movie. You were six years old, but that matters. You know, she was, she was a horrible, cruel villain. And, you know, every other woman that I saw was either married to a wealthy man or had inherited it by being a widow or (laughs) from her father. And so all of these stories stack up and create an, and create a narrative. And then I also, you know, present day, what is your relationship with investing? What is your relationship with debt? You know, one of my friends says, uh, I had a love affair with debt. We were on and off <laughs> for my whole life. And it was, debt was always there for me, even when I got out of the relationship. So these types of things matter, just, just uncovering it and also having a lot of self-compassion because when you start to sort of poke around in all of this, you can sometimes walk away feeling defeated and discouraged and disappointed in yourself and your parents, et cetera, et cetera. And I I just want people to watch out for that. And, and this is about learning and getting curious so you can gain more clarity. To be honest with you, I want women to talk about money and investing as much as men do. I was at the community pool a couple summers ago just, you know, watching my kids play and listening to these two dads have a conversation about investments. And I thought to myself, have I ever had a conversation with any of my, my female friends about investing? And the answer was no. And so I started talking to my female friends about it and some of them were kind of surprised, but now it's more regular. 
And, you know, we talk about salaries now and, and things like that, and it's still uncomfortable, but I want this to be normalized. I want this for my daughter. I, I switched financial advisors because I wanted my, my daughter to see a female financial advisor. Like I want, I wanted her to see women in, in finance and just have it be no big deal. Mm, I, I, I get all that. fired up about this. <laughs> I know I can feel the passion all the way here. I did not grow here. up like this. <laughs> no, I love it. And it's true. Absolutely. It's linked into, so money blocks are definitely linked into those mm -hmm. stories and those perceptions around money. Um, I've seen, like, as I was saying as well, self-worth, you know, receiving money, feeling guilty for even asking for money. I, don't, I know that yeah. still, I struggle with that when I lend somebody money, but to, then to ask for it back. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we have so many hangups and we're so emotional around money. And it's so weird to me because it's just a currency. Like if you think about it, it's just money. And I was having this conversation with my husband a few days ago. I don't even remember how we got on the topic, but we were talking about how before there was money, there were, there were civilizations and they were just fine. They just traded things that they had, whether it was work or, you know, furs or I don't know, canned goods. I don't know, animals, like what it was that they had where they would just trade. And so we have survived as a civilization without money. And if, if you can sort of pull yourself away from it and like depersonalize it, it's, it's interesting what comes up. Again, it's all just about getting curious and poking around, around your stories and your emotions. Mm. And what you're talking about, it's so true, right? Because uh, bartering was an exchange of energy. When you think about it, it's like, I will cut your hair if you give me a, you know, a, a massage or something. It was an exchange of energy right. and that's what money is. Mm -hmm. Yet we, we sometimes even uh, sabotage money uh, because we don't feel comfortable of having money. Um, what are your, your take on comparison around money? So I see a lot of people comparing uh, themselves with their business, comparing like how is she making more money than me or um, what, what is your take on comparison? I think we all do it. I think we all do it and I think we will all continue to do it. So I don't fault anyone for doing it because I think it's totally normal. And um, I just think it's part of the human experience. Like we like to measure things. <laughs> we really do. Our, there must be brain science around it. I don't know for sure, but I know how much the brain likes to come to conclusions and likes to categorize things. So it's it, the brain. Um, I'm a science geek too. So the brain likes to expel, you know, the least amount of calories as possible. And so it will jump to conclusions. It will again, try to label and categorize things. So I don't fault anyone or myself for comparing until it starts to affect someone's life negatively. So that's what I think that you need to do. Like, does your comparison prevent you from, you know, asking for the sale, from starting your podcast, from asking for a raise at work? Does it make you judge other people that you work with or that are in your field harshly? And cause that never, never feels good. So again, I keep coming back to just notice when you do it, just get curious about it, have some self-compassion and then coach yourself through it. Like, what is it about her that makes you fall into this compare and despair? Is it something that you want of hers? Do you think she's undeserving of it? If so, why is that? And, you know, every time I fall into a compare comparison trap. It's all about me. 
It doesn't have anything to do with the other person because nine times out of 10, I'm making up stories about her. I have no idea how much money she really makes. I have no idea what her life looks like or her marriage or her children or anything. It's all made up or something I'm seeing on Instagram, which we know isn't always totally true. So I always look at myself with loads of self-compassion and then see what I need to do. You know, do I need to unfollow someone on social media? Do I need to um, walk away from my laptop because I've been doing quote unquote research for too long, but just again, falling down that, that comparison rabbit hole? Uh, do I need to call a friend and, and tell her what I've been doing so we can kind of laugh about my inner critic or, or something like that? So I'm all about just noticing and sort of course correcting. It's just one of the, the things that I've learned that works for me in terms of managing that, that beast. Mm, I love that. And it's so true. You know, you can use it as a, uh, I mean, some people get stuck externally. So when Mm -hmm. we're talking about getting stuck externally, as in uh, really delving into somebody else's life where they lose track about, you know, where they're at. But it's it's a great point was what you were saying is actually using comparison as a, because we all do it. It's true. Absolutely. We all do it. Um, And, but it's been, what do you do with it? And what's it calling, calling for as well? I love that question. Exactly. And, and, um, it, what I want people to walk away with is that, you know, someone like you and I, who've been doing this work for a long time, I myself have been doing this work for, I don't know what, 13, 14 years now. And so it's not that I don't do all of those things that we talk about, you know, sometimes don't set boundaries. I have inner critic, um, you know, (laughs) inner critic, um, tornadoes that come through, I compare and despair that still happens, but I'm very, very quick to notice it now. It's almost within, I would say within minutes, sometimes even less than a minute where I notice that it's happening and I use my tools to get myself out of it. And of course, sometimes I have really terrible days. I also have anxiety disorder and there are days where I wake up. These are very few and far between, but there it's, it's just, I just don't feel good physically, mentally, emotionally. And so if I can, I will cancel appointments and things like that to take care of myself. But I just want people to know kind of what it looks like when you've been doing the work for a really long time, you close the gap between having the unhealthy coping mechanism or, you know, terrible narrative or thought to using your tools in course correcting and going in a, in a better direction. Mm, I love that. I too, I, um, have experienced for uh, quite some time now since I think 2011 or 12 um, anxiety mm-hmm. disorder and I and mind you nowhere near as bad as it used to be because now when it does come up I use I always say it's my gift it's it's actually telling me to stop or slow down and I feel it's when I've mm. really pushed myself and so you know sometimes I, I like to let people know that if you do something about uh, your situation now don't wait for an event because I know for me I was this uh, crazy woman working really long hours and looking after a family and looking after a business and a house and and I had a complete meltdown so yeah. um, I use that as a gift mm-hmm. I love that perspective mm. So Andrea, as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you, my dearest? Okay. Well, the first word that came up for me is enthusiasm. I am enthusiastic, energetic, and most of the things that I do. 
Oh, I love that. And I, I can feel that from you, actually. There's a lot of energy when you speak and you're very passionate. Yeah, thank you. The last question that we ask is we always ask a woman of inspiration to share three shiny gold nuggets for our listeners. And they can be like three practical exercises for our audience today. I think, you know, I can't walk away with from this conversation without emphasizing boundaries. You know, we spent some time with that. So I think learning to set boundaries, whether you follow a, a podcaster that talks about it a lot, or there's lots of books out there about how to set boundaries. And, and I'm so glad that it's a conversation that's becoming more and more common. And I also think that people's values, like really doing values work and, and understanding what, what yours are, you know, what's important about the way you live your life so that you can have a North star, know where you're headed. Then the last thing is we didn't touch on it a whole lot just here and there, but managing your, your self-talk and wherever you have negative self-talk digging into that, you know, is it something chronic and clinical that needs help from a licensed practitioner like anxiety or or something like that? Or is it something that you can learn to manage, whether it's with your therapist or a coach or, or even on your own? There's, again, lots of resources out there about how to manage your negative self-talk. That is also one of those things that I believe, in, in my opinion, that we all have and that we will continue to have as humans. We have a negativity bias. And it's about learning to manage it, not get rid of it completely. Mm, I love that. I love that. The way that I actually worked with my inner critic, it was able to, um, well, this has worked for me and, and it's there all the time. It's right. It's just how do you dance with it? And um, I had to give mm-hmm. my inner critic a name as a way to, which is yeah. Roger. Everyone knows that. So I, Roger <laughs> and don't, everyone goes, how did you even come up with that name? I'm like, I don't know. I just went with the first thing that my subconscious, you know, just kind of like laid out for me. So now I'm... That. I've got Roger and I'm really conscious of Roger's voice, uh, sensation. And I'm like, oh, hello, you're up. So I always acknowledge it because like a little kid, if you ignore it, it's like it's it's going to be at, at you mm-hmm. all the time. So that's how I ended up working with my inner critic. What was your trick? I start, I did the same thing. I personified it and it has changed shape over the years and gotten more clear. And it also depends on what season I'm in. My inner critic also gets very tricky and likes to disguise herself as overachievement. So every time I'm, I'm stressed out for some reason, I like to take on new projects and it's infuriating, but, but now I can spot it that I'm doing it. So I know you know, I know where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. I love that. It sounds like me very much. So I used to do it. And the way that I've stopped doing that is I've actually got a vision board with three things that I've um, set intention for the year. And then when these new projects, you know, people go, oh, let's do this together. I'll look at my vision board. And I'm like, is it aligned with what you set for yourself out this year? No. So then this is where you have another conversation, maybe next year. I love that. What a great, what a great thing to do at the beginning of the year. That's, mm, that's perfect. Cause that's me. I say yes to everything. So Andrew, yeah. where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Best place is my website, andreaowen.com. And if you, if people go to andreaowen.com slash noise, that's where the book is. And I also have a lot of free bonuses there that are fun. And I like to hang out, um, on Instagram at Hey Andrea Owen. And I highly recommend uh, for our listeners to check out Andrea's website. Talk about enthusiastic. You'll you'll just see it in the pages. You absolutely love the photos, love the style, uh, love the energy that comes off your website. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been amazing. Thank you for your time, your energy, and I'm sure our listeners are going to reach out. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit that subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Catherine Plano. Until next week, please take care of yourself. Much love and gratitude. Thank you.